It's been 30 years since a man named Rowan Foss, a motorspares entrepreneur who'd made his money in the coal fields, had the harebrained idea to buy a couple of old railway coaches, restore them, and turn them into a sort of family caravan on which he could take his considerable family on holidays around the country. At first the railways humoured him and then blocked him. They tried to price him out of the market. They told him it wasn't possible. And then they said, sure you can do this, but we're still going to charge you a lot of money and you can sell tickets. But Foss is a man who uh, doesn't take no for an answer. The idea had been germinated and he was going to see it through to the end, no matter what it took. In 1989, a beautiful green and cream train hauled by two steam locomotives that Foss had found in scrapyards and restored and consisting of seven classic pre-war passenger coaches that he had fixed up, began running from Pretoria and up and over the escarpment to Kraskop in Mpumalanga. The train was known as the Pride of Africa, famous around the world as one of the best trains there is. The first ride carried four paying passengers. If you had asked me then if this scheme was going to work, I would have said the story of Africa's railways is the story of dreamers. Thirty years later, the train no longer runs to Kraskop. That line is now closed. From those early days of seven coaches and just two steam locomotives, there are now four trains. Steam has given way to electric and diesel engines, and the routes are no longer just over the escarpment to Kraskop, but now to Cape Town and Durban and Kimberley and Vintuk and Dar es Salaam. And later this year, the train will make history as the first train to run east to west from Dar es Salaam to Lobito in Angola. It will be an epic journey, with epic problems, no doubt. And Foss is the man who will make it happen. Last year, with the 30th anniversary fast approaching, I sat him down at the Rovers Rail headquarters in Pretoria and asked him, what is it that makes a railway entrepreneur in the 21st century? This is what he had to say. 1. You've got to be a shrewd entrepreneur. So I started work in Johannesburg, selling encyclopedias, funnily enough. It was the first job, and then I moved on to Grosvenor Motors. I was, I was drawn to the mechanical side of things, and uh, worked uh, selling uh, washing machines, these uh, high-pressure washers and, and other garage equipment and so on for a while. And then I was offered a job out in Whitbank, and um, I moved there into the spares division in, the, in a little spares business in Whitbank at that stage, uh, Whitbank was probably 8,000 people, and uh, Highfeld Steel hadn't started yet, uh, but they came on stream during the late 60s. And uh, so I, I worked in the spares business and then decided to open my own. And the only way to do that with no capital and so on was to uh, open somewhere where there wasn't any spares business. So I went to sort of the outskirts of town and uh, I sold... I had a 1940 Packard, in fact, uh, which I had been dry. I paid 75 Rand for the Packard in, in uh, Kensington, and I drove it for a good three, four years. And um, anyway, I sold that Packard and a little old 28 Morris that I'd been fixing up. I sold them, and that gave me the stake to start my first spares shop. 
And uh, in the interim, I had opened a discotheque in Whitbank called Zorba's Beat. Uh, I think I opened that in 66. So I did my Air Force training and so on in 65. And in 66, uh, well, 67 it was, got to Whitbank and uh, opens always beat then. So that was a nighttime activity twice a week or so. And uh, that also helped me. Who are your clientele that Zorba's beat? Well, all the young people in Whitbank. Um, you know, discotheques were only just becoming the vogue. Um, up to then, we had sessions where you had a band of youngsters, uh, you know, six or seven of them or whatever, come along and, and play. And uh, you would have a, a town hall or something similar where everybody could jive. And um, discotheques were just starting, and I remember going to Hillbrow to have a look at the first one, and then going back to Whitbank and took over an old building, and we, we converted it. Anyway, that worked quite well, actually, and, and I used to make a, a handsome profit of about 15 rand a night in those days. But that helped me to buy a few more fan belts for my Spears business every time I, I ran it. And um, so the, the Spears business grew quite quickly. Two, have a great idea, and it better be a good one. The beginning was a staff member of mine, Phil Lakett by name, actually uh, wanted to save some steam locomotives from being cut up in Whitbank and uh, diesel was beginning to take over at that stage and he asked me to get involved in the Steam Preservation uh, Society and which I did and then I thought it might be fun to buy some carriages for myself and not long after that the idea of having a family caravan was born and I was going to have four carriages and take the dogs and the kids and others along. And um, then when I applied to the railways to use my own locomotive uh, on this train, uh, they replied that that doesn't happen in South Africa, but I can apply, which I did. They came back with uh, these stupendous tariffs, and I said, wow, that's um, a lot of money. And they said, well, then why don't you sell tickets? So that was when Rofos Rail as a commercial product was born, and that was December 1986. Three, run a train up a beautiful mountain. We traveled mostly to the Eastern Transvaal to start with. Um, in fact, we had a four-night package, which was one night down to Nelspreet, and then up to Sabi and Kraskop. So it was a four-night sojourn, which was quite fun. The train in the meantime was growing, so we grew to eight carriages, to nine, to ten. In fact, when we got to about twelve, uh, we realized that on that route, um, even two steam locomotives, and I had one um, actually depoted in, in Nelspreet, and one used to take us down from here. So that climb between Nelspreet and Sabi and Kraskorp, it was quite amazing. In fact, it's 124 kilometers and there were 360 bends, I think, in that line, which, which makes for an amazingly beautiful line. Four, be prepared to lose money, and a lot of it. We had no money left, or I had no money left. I'd sold everything, including the mother-in-law, to, to try and raise cash for the business. And um, by the end of 93, you know, I was skint and uh, the bank actually summons me and wanted to close us up but we and that was uh, quite an exciting moment actually because i remember having christmas had been summoned i think on the 24th of december or something and um during uh, that christmas which was pretty bleak affair you know i've got four dreadful kids and, and the wife and others and um I was thinking, you know, standing on my lawn at home, well, I'm, I'm going to be very good at running a fish and chip shop after this or something similar. Five, get lucky. 
We had advertised in the in the Telegraph in the UK um, that the train would now be going from Cape Town to Victoria Falls. That was a new idea we had had, and the agent in England said, "Don't worry, you know, we'll we'll take your contribution from the sale of tickets because I had no money to 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 contribute." And um, luckily, that sold very well. And he sent me some money, and I got rid of the bank off my back, should I say. And uh, we then progressed to the extent where um, three months later, I bought 38 carriages from the railways. Six. Get unlucky, and then fix it. Two events, you know, Zimbabwe in 2000 and, and the Lehman Brothers crash in, in 2008, call it for us anyway, um, were the two big big hits that we've had in the last uh, 20 years. The biggest ones that affected us was Zimbabwe. In 2000, the tourism business just collapsed. And that was 40% of my business at the time. So we went from 53 trips a year, we dropped down to 19 with poor occupancies. It's taken us until now, it's taken 18 years to recover that market. For the first time this year, we're doing 47 uh, return journeys. And those are not excellent occupancies just yet. But I've taken the gamble that by having the trips available will improve the occupancies. And, or put it this way, improve the interest in going to Zimbabwe. But um, that was the one, the Lehman Brothers crash in 2007, was it? September, I think. 2008, we felt that. I think we had a 30, 30, 35% drop in business. And that was all your pension funds and saying, sorry guys, we've lost all your money now. And um, people not having a disposable income, especially your retirees, um, of which there are a considerable number coming from England for argument's sake, um, they were severely affected. And it took us from 2008, uh, 9, 10, 11, it took us three, four years before things started to move upwards again. So 2012 was our first better year from 2007, so five years was gone. Seven, be bold, be romantic, and be a bit crazy. For next year, and I'm hoping I'm going to pull it off because I'm, I'm struggling with uh, some countries up north, but we're wanting to run from Dar es Salaam uh, through to Zambia, and then Zambia, northern Zambia, that is, uh, to Lubumbashi in the, in the DRC, and um, from DRC, Lubumbashi, due west to their border, which is called uh, Luau, and uh, or Delolo is on the on the Cong on the Congo side, and then into Angola, and it's uh, 1,350 kilometres from the border down to Libito, which is their deep water port, and um, Benguela is of course right next door. It used to be called the Benguela Line, uh, but then they changed the the line down at Libito and, and Benguela is now second, so it's actually the Libito line now. And um, we're just we're just hoping that um, the DRC um, spends more money on that piece of railway line between the Katanga province, which is Kolwezi is the capital there, between Kolwezi and the border, which is about 400 odd kilometers. Um, they need to spend the money there on rehabilitation. I mean, sleepers are rotten and that sort of thing. Um, to to facilitate the export of copper, 
you know, it's the shortest route from, from Kolwezi down to Lobito, and um, that line is very poor, so it's very difficult uh, to run heavily laden. Um, heavily laden, sorry about that noise. Heavily laden uh, uh, trucks over lines which are suspect. So I'm hoping, you know, we're all full of hope, eh? And uh, South Africans especially, I think we, we, you know, we take, we take a lot of things with a pinch of salt and we say, well, don't worry, we'll, we'll muddle through. And by me going to, you know, DRC and saying, guys, we want to bring a train through here, I mean, the guy looked at me as if I'd crawled out of green cheese, you know. He said, what do you, what do you, want to, what do you mean bring a train through here, you know? We've got no passengers. Uh, and I said, no, 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 we'll bring our own passengers. Uh, it, it took half an hour for him to understand how, how we work. But once he grasped the idea, then he thought, well, hang, hang on a second, then what about hotels in Lubumbashi, you know? I know the hotel I can sell you tickets to. So there you go. And um, with us, I would like to think that we'd be pioneering um, the tourism industry there. We will get a lot of publicity, and if we don't, we'll make a lot of publicity. And um, I think that'll bring those two countries uh, into, into the spotlight. I mean, most South Africans, you know, I'll never forget in, in 93, uh, when it came over the radio that Tanzania was now allowing South Africans to come and visit. And um, I immediately jumped in my aeroplane with a few other guys and off we went. And when we got to Dar es Salaam, we landed and they said, well, where's your letter of, of authority, etc." And I said, well, we don't have one. We just filed a flight plan. Here we are. And they promptly locked me up for 24 hours. Uh, until I managed to get hold of the, uh, the, the it was the, the justice minister who happened to walk past the place we were locked up in. And I yelled at him and he got us out and he said, well, I'm awfully sorry, but the government hadn't let the immigration authorities know that you now allowed. And at that stage, most South Africans wouldn't have been able to tell you where Tanzania is. And that's the fact of the matter. I mean, uh, little alone knowing where, where the Transvaal or where the uh, what's-his-name might be at the moment. And um, we, we find that with DRC and Angola, people are still looking at us with, uh, you can see, vacant, vacant eyes, saying, well, we don't exactly know where that is, but we know it's up north somewhere. So but I your passengers know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. Well, I must tell you, you know, when we advertised this, we had a, a rush of bookings. People, um, you know, we've really got some adventurous uh, clientele. And... Um, I've got people yelling at me because they can't get on because other people are holding space at the moment and this sort of thing. You know, and I do warn them. I said, you know, we're probably going to have a derailment every every two hours or so on that line. I'm never too sure, but um, I don't not necessarily trying to put them off, but just to say, listen, this is going to be an adventure if we can if we can pull it off. So, anyway, I, I hope to be a pioneer. My name is Paul Ash, and this is the Sunday Times Travel Podcast. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.